The following program is produced and sponsored by Cancer Treatment Centers of America. The information discussed during this program is not medical advice. Be sure to talk to your medical doctor for information and advice relating to your health. This is a special edition of Health, Hope, and Inspiration, focusing on nutrition, especially as it relates to cancer. Our host is Reverend Percy McRae, Director of Faith-Based Programs at Cancer Treatment Centers of America, and I'm Wayne Shepherd. Percy, great to be with you. It's good to be back for another show, my friend. Now, this is an extension of our normal podcast, which is released every week, and we have many, many listeners who have uh, subscribed to that. We really appreciate them tuning in. We do, and we are grateful for the, uh, the commitment that those have made to the show and, and we likewise make a commitment right back to being helpful, hopeful, and inspirational. But this will be an expanded edition, a special edition of our podcast, Health, Hope, and Inspiration, as we focus on nutrition. We have some special guests who are going to join us. Now, these are excerpts of longer interviews that we've had on our normal program. That is correct. We've spoken to all of these individuals at length, and we've taken some excerpts that we thought would be vital for people to kind of highlight and hear with regard to the importance and the role and the balance of of what potentially nutrition may be able to do in the face of talking about cancer, cancer care, and potential cancer prevention. Yeah, now here's the cool thing, because our executive producer, Mark Dreistad, has put this together, and he has actually given us links to the full-length interviews. We're going to hear portions of the interviews today, but he's given us links to the full-length interviews in the show notes that accompany this podcast, Health, Hope, and Inspiration. And therefore, individuals can go back and listen to those extended versions or complete versions of those individual shows and hear the contextual framework of that entire conversation at a later time. All right, let's get started. But I hope you have subscribed to the podcast at healthhopeandinspiration.com or directly on iTunes. Now, if you or someone you love is fighting cancer, consider Cancer Treatment Centers of America. They treat the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Visit our website at healthhopeandinspiration.com and click on Sponsor to learn more about Cancer Treatment Centers of America or contact one of their friendly oncology information specialists about questions you may have about your treatment options by simply calling the phone number at the top of our homepage. Cancer Treatment Centers of America uses state-of-the-art technologies to deliver precision medicine, personalized care, and spiritual support. Learn more at healthhopeandinspiration.com. Percy, just before we hear from our first guest here today, why don't you uh, take us to Scripture to set the theme going here? Yeah, the theme for this conversation, uh, we have a very interesting Scripture that I think will help motivate us spiritually when we begin to ask the question, what does it matter about what we eat or how we take care of our body? Let's have some spiritual encouragement from the Word of God that will help us with that. And it's found in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? This scripture is helping us to understand that Mm -hmm. we have a responsibility to take care of the temple that God's spirit lives in. And so with that being said, maybe we should consider what we eat and how we eat and how we take care of the body. That's going to become clear during this hour together. All right. Uh, Carolyn Lammersfeld is someone that we turn to quite often on our regular program. Carolyn is the vice president of integrative medicine at Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Percy, you hold her in a very high regard. She 
she's a dear friend personally, but she's also a tremendous clinician with regard to understanding the role of nutrition and uh, integrative services that support people with cancer while undergoing cancer treatment. Well, let's go back to a conversation we had with Carolyn. Here's a part of that program. Uh, She helped us understand some of the basics around good nutritional practices. Quite frankly, with with everything in the literature these days, I can't start a discussion about um, nutrition and cancer without talking about um, obesity and the risk of carrying extra yes. extra weight. I mean, we half of the population is unaware that that is one of the biggest lifestyle risk factors for the development of cancer. And it, ironically, uh, uh, some research by Dr. Harold Koenig uh, ironically points out that one of the most obese social groups in America are church organizations Hmm. because everything that we do is fellowshipping around food. So it's interesting that obesity and cancer is a really important subject to talk about. It's very important. I mean, and you hit on something. I mean, I'm of the belief that most people know really what they should be doing to, you know, from a standpoint of eating and activity to maintain a healthy body weight. But there are social, environmental, emotional, so many other components around food. Um, But we do know by, according to the American Society for Clinical Oncology, by the year 2030, obesity may overtake tobacco as the the biggest lifestyle modifiable risk factor for cancer. Um, It's, I mean, again, the incidence is expected to rise because of the the obesity epidemic we have in this country. And most people aren't aware of that connection. Um, And so we know that care extra weight um, can increase the level of hormones like estrogen and testosterone in your body, which of course can increase the risk of many cancers. Um, It it can cause inflammation, which may be one of the, you know, what predisposes uh, people that are carrying extra weight to cancer. It's not the only factor, but it is a modifiable um, risk factor. So a lot of the um, epidemiological and observational data we have actually shows that um, people who follow more of a plant-based diet, um, sometimes it, it makes it easier for them, ma- them to maintain a healthier body weight. There's new literature coming out showing that it actually helps um, maintain a healthy gut microbiome um, so that we have healthy bacteria mm. in our gut and not and less unhealthy bacteria, which we're learning that may play a role in obesity, actually just um, the, the bacteria we have in our gut. Oh, so, awesome. And a plant-based diet is one of the best ways to maintain a healthy balance um, of good bacteria and the not so good bacteria in your gut. So again, eating more whole grains, fruits and vegetables, um, legumes, beans for protein, um, a a good way um, to help individuals work towards maybe losing some extra weight, not gaining weight during treatment, which is which can increase the risk of recurrence, for example, um, with breast cancer. Mm. Um, so, And again, maintaining a healthy gut, which can also help with the weight component. How hard is it to convince people to make that lifestyle change? I mean, if they've received a diagnosis of a cancer, that's a pretty serious thing to deal with. I'm sure they're more receptive to your message. But how difficult is that to get across? Yeah, it's, when somebody's diagnosed, it's a little bit easier because, again, the motivation level is very high. Um, and a lot of what we do is helping people overcome some of the barriers that Reverend McRae mentioned from a standpoint, you know, how do you do this in a social setting when everything revolves around food, right. potlucks, potlucks, exactly. Casseroles. So, yeah, so a lot of what we do is actually helping people, you know, overcome those barriers and, you know, give them tips uh, to, to deal with those situations. I think for the, the general population, it's a little harder, as we know, because um, that message, I think, has been 
out there, um, but yet we we still see a population, you know, unfortunately getting heavier and heavier, um, a generation of children that is likely not to live longer than their parents for the mm. first time because of obesity. That's serious stuff. It's very serious yeah. stuff. Um, so I think um, the like the American Society for Clinical Oncology's um, public policy statement they came out recently to raise awareness with education and research is a good first step because again, as I said, about half of the population isn't even aware of the connection between carrying extra weight and and the risk of developing cancer. And of course, if you have cancer, having extra weight you know, increases the risk of poor surgery outcomes, it again, increases the risk of recurrence. So it's important to address both before, during, and after. Yeah. Well, we're going to pause the interview right there. But again, the original full-length interview is noted in the show notes for this program, Health, Hope, and Inspiration. You can go back and listen to the whole thing at your convenience. Um, in a moment, we're going to offer a resource, Cancer Fighting Recipes. So stay tuned for that information. This is really a, a recipe book that we're offering online through a download. With a plethora of recommended uh, recipes that people can use, uh, and particularly when we talk about people from a, a dietary perspective who have cancer, that will be most helpful because many times people are trying to figure out what do you cook or yeah. how do you cook or prepare a meal for someone who has cancer. Can we say these are Carolyn approved? The, we can say with certainty <laughs> that these are Carolyn approved. All right, I'll give you the details in just a moment about these recipes available to you right now. But let's talk about what Carolyn talked about there. Well, Carolyn really helped us to understand some high-level insight about the role, potentially, that nutrition and eating can play with regard to a cancer diagnosis, uh, to cancer care, and potentially cancer occurrence or reoccurrence. And that is uh, one of the fundamental thoughts that she put out there was understanding, because there's a lot of conversation that people have misnomers about nutrition uh, can one be healed of their cancer by just correcting their diet and et cetera, that understanding the role of obesity specific to nutritional support, that overeating or, or carrying extra weight or however one may address the issue or define the issue of obesity, of how that potentially has a linkage to cancer. You know, it seems to me that not too many years ago, nutrition as a topic in fighting cancer wasn't even on the table. It absolutely is true, and we make this statement regularly on the show here, Wayne, as you know, that the advancement of thought and the paradigm around cancer and treatment changes and has shifted drastically within the last 10 years and certainly over the last 20, 25 years, that that just simply was not a conversation or a focus of emphasis. It's part of integrative cancer care now, though. It is, and when we understand that, we, we need to take this in into consideration as a disclaimer, there is still much to be learned and understood about the role of nutrition, but we certainly have come to a place to understand that it has a potential impact. Well, I know how strongly you believe in this personally as a part of integrative cancer care. Carolyn certainly does. And together, you've put together this this recipe book, I guess you could say, although it's not a book, it's a it's a downloadable resource right now. It is. It's a, it's a multi-page document that really does give us some nice... Uh, information around suggested recipes, you know, around breakfast foods, main dishes, side dishes, snacks, and beverages. What? Snacks are in here? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. There can be very uh, cancer-friendly, healthy snacks and beverages that that one can utilize. And so we have attempted to address and speak to the issue of what one can do from a nutritional perspective and a dietary perspective in preparing foods that may be friendly to the conversation 
prevention and the cause of cancer, cancer prevention, and cancer care. And these are full-blown recipes. Full-blown. We have nice, colorful pictures uh, to kind of give you an aesthetic look and view of some of the things that we're talking about. And again, many, many, and, uh, you know, we have it broken down into calories. Uh, We have some things broken down in terms of cooking time, of how many people can be served. So, again, a a difficulty scale from like 1 to 10. So, again, things that will just simply be user-friendly for those in the kitchen who really want to take on the ownership of, I'm going to address my nutritional uh, needs or one's nutritional needs around being a cancer patient. My wife knows how much I love raspberries, and one of the first recipes I note here is overnight raspberry icebox oatmeal. Well, there you go. Boy, does that sound good. Yeah, you don't have cancer, but you might want to go home and whip that up, my friend. <laughs> you got it. Sold. Yeah. I just have to go to healthhopeandinspiration.com and download the, the recipes. You know, I, I'm a good friend of the guy that kind of handles all of these really? resources. Really? Yeah, I'm going to put a good word in Can you for hook you. me up? And I'm going to let you get some resources, man. We're going to take care of you. I got your back. All right. That is wonderful. That is Percy McCray, our host. According to the American Cancer Society, nearly one out of three people in the United States will have cancer during their lifetime. Caring for people living with cancer is a growing need in every church today. So we developed the Our Journey of Hope Ministry Leaders Network to help equip and empower every church in the country to better meet this great need. If you are a pastor or a leader in your church or congregation, we want to invite you to join our growing family of informed ministry leaders in the Our Journey of Hope Ministry Leaders Network. Joining the Ministry Leaders Network is absolutely free. When you sign up, you'll receive access to the exclusive online leaders' resources, information about ministry training opportunities, and our monthly informative email newsletter. Here's all you do. Visit our website at healthhopeandinspiration.com, click on the Our Journey of Hope logo at the top of the page, and sign up for the Ministry Leaders Network. Once again, that's healthhopeandinspiration.com. Click on the Our Journey of Hope logo at the top of the page and sign up for the Ministry Leaders Network. Well, once again, this is a special edition of Health, Hope, and Inspiration, and we're focusing on nutrition, especially as it relates to cancer. We heard from Carolyn Lammersfeld a few moments ago. Let's return to that conversation. Yeah, well, we're talking about nutrition and good nutrition, and the point to be made is that good nutrition is always an important topic to understand, but it becomes even more important when we really talk about it in the context of cancer. Sound medical care is the foundation of quality cancer care, But things like nutrition and pastoral care can provide supplemental support during cancer treatment that may help patients manage side effects and maintain their quality of life. And Carolyn tells us about this approach. Integrative oncology is a team of individuals that work um, side by side with the patient's oncologist, whether whether it be a medical oncologist, radiation oncologist, surgical oncologist, or all, all of those. Um, so it would be include a registered dietitian, which is my background. My background is in nutrition, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, it would include a chaplain, uh, a, a naturopathic physician, a mind-body therapist. It could include a chiropractor, an acupuncturist, um, and, and individuals from rehabilitation oncology, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. And, and what we know from the literature is 
and, and certainly in the faith-based community, upwards of 80 plus percent of people diagnosed with cancer want an integrative approach. They, they want um, individuals that will help them manage, you know, prevent or manage side effects, mm-hmm. maintain their quality of life so they can continue working or enjoying their family, enjoying their life. So um, many individuals are trying to, if it's not available where they're having care, they're trying to put that team together by themselves. And there's all kinds of concerns, as you can imagine, if they're running to several different offices and those individuals aren't communicating communicating, there's a safety concern. Correct. Um, so uh, what what we do is put that team together for patients all under one roof so that it's all available um, from day one throughout their care. For example, from a standpoint, what I do, nutrition, I mean, we know um, about half of patients, roughly half, it depends on what their diagnosis is, um, at the time of diagnosis are already malnourished. That, you know, they've lost some weight or or they're having some nutritional challenges. So, And, and important to that, because I've heard you speak on this, and I want to make sure I catch this point, being malnourished does not necessarily mean being underweight. Kind of help us out with that school of Absolutely. thought. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you hit it. I mean, it, 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 being malnourished can also mean carrying extra extra weight. So being overweight or obese is, is, is also a form of malnourishment. And both are equally um, dangerous, um, frankly, when, when individuals are being treated for cancer. So um, being malnourished can um, increase your what, what you eat um, or don't eat during mm-hmm. cancer treatment, what supplements you take or don't take, whether you're active or not, whether, you're, you, know, whether you pray or not. All of that can really um, impact... Um, whether you're going to have symptoms, whether you're going to be able to have your um, the recommended amount of treatment um, at the right time, um, so and ultimately affect your outcome. And so with that, one of the key things that uh, I love about the, the focus of integrative medicine, it helps to, to collaborate and bring all of those schools to thought together. But we also have a, a program called Our Journey of Hope that we present to local churches and faith-based community members where we actually are training them to speak to pragmatically uh, with respect to all aspects, including nutrition and integrative medicine. Again, because I'm educated in nutrition, I mean, that's what I'm passionate about. What what I'm passionate about is alleviating suffering as much as possible, particularly in individuals that are being treated for cancer. And so, again, we know this integrative approach, um, what people eat um, can impact uh, how well they feel during cancer treatment. And then once somebody's somebody's done with treatment, I mean, you you want to make sure you're doing everything you can so they don't have to go through this again or they don't, you know, have to deal with the challenge of another chronic disease, if that makes sense. And certainly, um, going back to the work with Our Journey of Hope, um, prevention is the best Be- really the best medicine and the best treatment for this disease. Of and course, so, we focus on yeah, that with, so, with our local and, churches. And so there, yes. anything, anything I can do, you can do, we can do to get that message out there so that um, as many people as possible don't ever have to deal with this disease. Spiritual leaders need to see it as something that needs to be integrated as well. Absolutely. I mean, and I think if you, if you, I mean, we know people are asking about it. We know people want to do things that they can control, um, that they have some control over to, to have the best possible outcome. Certainly, you know, diet is one of those things. Um, But I think what, what, spiritual leaders need to re- remember too is is there is a safety concern if individuals are not doing you know doing this in an integrative fashion okay. where it's where it's under one roof or at least there's communication so between the teams. you see the light bulb go off to you when you I, I do. I mean, you, you know, for example, um, let, chiropractic medicine is a good good example. If an if an individual has um, bone metastases, it may not be safe for them to have a chiropractic adjustment. And so, um, being able to you know you, to to talk with a chiropractor that is aware of the patient's um, cancer as well um, is a huge safety concern. Supplements. I know you're going to talk about that, but taking you know some supplements may be helpful. Other supplements may be dangerous and interact with very good with point. medications. Let me interject here. 
here that Carolyn is the co-author of a book called Cancer Nutrition and Recipes for Dummies. It's part of that series of books that uh, reaches out to the masses. This is so helpful, though. Just look for that title, Cancer Nutrition and Recipes. As a matter of fact, go to our website, and you'll learn more about the book right there. Absolutely, and we'll be making that information available on the OurJourneyOfHope.com website as well. So we'll continue to allow the audience to, to find out different ways to be able to receive that what do you see as a response from, say, spiritual leaders with this conversation? Are they receptive? Are they open? Are they inquisitive? Give me some sense because, again, one of the things that I want to continue to speak to is bridging the gap between the tension and, and in some case, the angst between the faith-based community and the clinical community and getting everyone at the table talking about these important issues that are important to all of us at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, everything I've seen um, participating, you know, with you and others in the Our Journey of Hope has been um, extremely receptive, um, extremely grateful uh, for the, you know, for the knowledge, for the information. Uh, usually when I do these, the, the number of questions mm -hmm. to me is an indication um, that that these these leaders are engaged and want the, I mean, I, the, you, you know, you usually have to cut the questions off. They go, <laughs> they go on forever. Yeah, that's so. true. At the end of the day, they're, they're, they, they appear to, to want more than we're able to give them at, at any particular point in time. And we want to share with the audience at some point, even how they may be able to reach out to you if they have questions with regard to nutrition. Are you open to that or Absolutely. comfortable with that? I mean, and I know some of the individuals we've met uh, have, have done that. And uh, again, happy to, happy to answer any questions I'm able to. Carolyn, with respect to, again, the, the subject of nutrition, let's talk about uh, the correlation between oncology and, and cancer-related deaths and nutritional practices lack thereof. Uh, there are some staggering statistics that help us to get a sense of how important this conversation is. Can you speak to that and share some of that clinical information with us, please? Uh, we know that 80 to 90 percent of people diagnosed with cancer have some signs and symptoms of malnutrition if, if you pay attention to it, uh, depending upon what type of disease. Again, people with cancers of the GI tract, it can be upwards of 80, 90 percent, lung cancer, 60 percent. So it depends on the type of but cancer. But those numbers are high. But those numbers are high. And and according to the, uh, you know, the National Cancer Institute, um, 20 to 40 percent of people with cancer actually die from malnutrition. Um, and you could argue that number may be a, a little higher if you all, if you look at all death from infections that individuals aren't able to fight because um, your nutritional status actually affects your immune system. That's and such so, an important yeah. point. I'm going to ask you to repeat that. I want our listeners to really grasp what you're talking about here. Yeah. So, I mean, unfortunately, the, the statistics we have from the National Cancer Institute are that 20 to 40 percent of people with cancer actually die from malnutrition. And that number may, may actually be higher if you included infections that, okay. that individuals can't fight off because their immune system is affected from so malnutrition. So malnutrition is an enemy as well as cancer. Absolutely. It, it's a huge enemy. And we also look at malnutrition on the other side. You know, we're learning more and more about the um, the danger of carrying extra weight, um, you know, when you, when you have a cancer diagnosis. So, so, you know, we have the undernutrition and the overnutrition that are both um, serious concerns. So if, if I could, we could say it this way, what you are or what you are not eating may be killing you. A absolutely. Well, that's from a much earlier conversation we had with Carolyn Lammersfeld here on Health, Hope, and Inspiration. And once again, if you'd like to hear the entire interview, it's listed in the notes for this program found online. Our website is healthhopeandinspiration.com. And Carolyn, boy, what a rich resource she is. Well, she's just very good and thorough with the role that she has and the work that she has done. And what I can say, you know, we're talking about a clinical licensed nutritionist who has been functioning in that capacity for well up to 20 plus years. So she knows her stuff and she's not just 
theorizing here and she stays current with whatever the latest uh, research information is because what's important to understand about this conversation, Wayne, is that, you know, the conversation with nutrition also is ever evolving, ever changing. And so she's uh, current and up to date with regard to the latest things that are taking place with regard to understanding the role and the impact that nutrition plays in general and certainly with regard to the cancer community. In consultation with Carolyn, we've put together something called Cancer Fighting Recipes. Uh, this could be a book. <laughs> it's not a book. It's a downloadable resource. So it comes right to your computer when you go online to healthhopeandinspiration.com. I think I counted 45 pages of recipes here. Yeah, it's quite a bit of information, and we want it to be as thorough as we possibly could. Because what we know, Wayne, and I think the big point that we try to highlight, and I try to uh, highlight, Eating is an important dynamic in our lives. Mm -hmm. It's an emotional component. It's a social component. So, again, we're trying to help people to really uh, embrace and wrap their arms around how uh, to to prepare meals, how to construct meals that will be user-friendly from a healthy perspective and from a cancer care perspective. And one of the main categories in that 45-page document is also talking about main dishes, as an example. Yeah. You know, so again, giving ideas also on on how to create new dishes. You know, I think one of the things that many people struggle with from, from a meal planning perspective is, is having creative new dishes. Sure, to variety. Make. Yeah. Variety, yeah. because again, just like anything else, and you know, I'm, I'm going to put myself on the spot here and I'm really going to put my wife on the spot here you know I'm one who can eat leftovers forever but my wife will only eat leftovers for so long Uh which is typically about one day and she has to have a new meal or she gets bored with food hey I've got an idea give her this uh, cancer fighting (laughs) recipe download absolutely so the point that I simply make is that it gives you uh, a nice plethora of dishes and assortment of dishes that one can think about preparing for a cancer patient. You can have this right now when you go online to healthhopeandinspiration.com. And who can't use a few new recipes to uh, not only for variety, but good healthy recipes, cancer fighting recipes? Well, you know, we actually live in the day and age of the culture of where there's a lot of conversation in the marketplace talking about nutrition, diet, eating, and etc. So, you know, we thought that we would take, you know, uh, our shot at addressing that from a health perspective, but from a cancer care perspective. Healthhopeandinspiration.com. Hey, if this is the first time you're hearing about Health, Hope, and Inspiration as a podcast, this is a special edition. I hope that you'll sign up and subscribe to our regular podcast. You can do that at our website, healthhopeandinspiration.com, or go to iTunes and subscribe there, and you'll receive the uh, each new edition of the podcast automatically then. And leave a review for the program there at iTunes if you don't mind. That's very helpful as well. Or, of course, you can use your favorite uh, podcast app to find us as well, Health, Hope, and Inspiration. With hospitals in Atlanta, Chicago, Philadelphia, Phoenix, and Tulsa, Cancer Treatment Centers of America takes an integrative approach to cancer care, as we're hearing today. They use conventional medical treatments to attack the disease while helping patients manage side effects and maintain their quality of life by using evidence-informed therapies like nutrition and naturopathic support, along with pastoral care 
pain management, and other supportive care services. Treatments are tailored for each patient's specific needs. Visit our website at healthhopeandinspiration.com and click on Sponsor to learn more about Cancer Treatment Centers of America or contact one of their friendly oncology information specialists about questions you may have about your treatment options by simply calling the phone number at the top of our homepage. Cancer Treatment Centers of America uses state-of-the-art technologies to deliver precision medicine, personalized care, and spiritual support. Learn more at healthhopeandinspiration.com. I'm so glad you're with us for this special edition of Health, Hope, and Inspiration. We're focused on nutrition as it relates to cancer here for the next few minutes. And Percy McRae is our host, Director of Faith-Based Programs at Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Percy, as you know, what we're doing is we're going back and we're replaying portions of interviews that we've done on the topic of nutrition on our regular podcast, Health, Hope, and Inspiration. Yeah, we're highlighting some, some very important topics and points that is relative to this conversation, just again to to underscore some things that we want people to remember and think about uh, when they're talking among themselves, when they're talking to caregivers, and when they're involved in their cancer treatment uh, at large. Well, what our guests have shared so far is very compelling to me to hear. Yeah, a healthy, balanced diet is certainly important in maintaining uh, a healthy lifestyle. But it also appears that nutrition may also play an even greater role when an individual is also fighting cancer. Well, let's go back to an interview we did with Karen Sutters. Actually, you sat down and talked to Karen. I did, and she gave us some tremendous things to think about and to listen to. Karen is a clinical oncology dietitian serving with Cancer Treatment Centers of America in Philadelphia. As you talked with Karen, you asked her, why is nutrition important to the cancer conversation? That's a really great question. Um, it's important for a lot of different reasons. Um, one of the main reasons is because we do see so many complications in patients undergoing cancer treatment and the correlation with malnutrition. Nutrition plays a huge role because a lot of times we may see that appropriate nutrition intervention may actually help with increasing their outcomes. Um, we may also see that dietary intervention, whether it be um, different foods that they're eating, different food patterns, um, different variety of foods, may actually help with nausea, vomiting, um, or any type of other side effects that they may encounter through treatment. So, you know, it's simple and complex all at the same time. So nutrition is an important conversation to the cancer experience and the and the pathway of cancer treatment for patients. Absolutely, 100%. I, I feel that um, nutrition plays a huge role in the support and the recovery for, for all cancer patients. You mentioned earlier about part of the execution of what you do is nutrition assessment. Explain to us what an example would be of a nutrition assessment. How do you assess the nutritional needs of patients? Um, we actually use a validated tool called a subjective global assessment. And it's a tool used by the majority of all oncology nutrition related practitioners. Okay. What it does is it, it goes through weight history how much the patients weighed, you know, what a usual body weight is, mm -hmm. how much they weighed in a month, how much they weighed in six months, if any weight changes, dietary intake, 
energy level, any type of side effects. And each category actually has a numerical system associated with it. Um, And then dependent upon their score, after we've gone through that assessment, they're given um, a rating system. So zero to four would be considered well-nourished, five to nine would be considered moderately malnourished, and above, and 10 or above is considered severely malnourished. That's how we categorize our patients. So it's not just, you don't really look so good today. Sure. I think you're severely malnourished. There's definitely a lot more thought and evaluation that goes into the, the specific, it, it is a diagnosis, the specific diagnosis. With that assessment, with that tool, and, and with your time and tenure uh, in this field, how many, and again, I won't hold you to this approximately, how many patients or percentage-wise would you say you've seen oncology patients who would be considered malnutritioned? I would say, for my experience, 60 to 80% wow. of, of the patients that we are seeing are categorized as either moderately or severely malnourished. That is a very high number. I'm so shocked at that. Yes, sir. Uh, with that being said, then, again, it helps to reinforce the fact that a nutritional support plan and commitment to such really does come into play in, in, in the clinical environment of oncology. I truly believe that it does. And, you know, for every malnourished patient, we do have well-nourished patients, but that doesn't mean that they don't need the same type of tender loving care. Okay. Um, when we're talking about nutrition intervention, it can be education. Sure. You know, somebody may come in saying, my aunt told me to take this supplement or my aunt told me to eat these foods because it's going to help me. And a lot of times some of these things other don't have a lot of scientific backing behind Mm -hmm. them. They may actually be harmful or hindering their recovery and, you know, their progress. So it's important to be seeing these patients and providing them with the the care that they need. So the nutritional support that you're providing, and and just as a clarification, has strong evidence-based tools, uh, whether it be assessment, whether it be uh, whatever you may offer in terms of of things to be done, that that there's there's an evidence-based efficacy that goes with that. Absolutely. As a registered dietitian, it's important to be practicing evidence-based medicine. Great. That's important for for our listening audience to know. Why did you become a nutritionist? What led you down the path of nutrition? I I think my path to become a dietitian and and my path in oncology are are two very different ones. Yeah, because I was going to ask the very next question is why oncology as well? Absolutely. So I got into nutrition. um, I was a college athlete. I was a swimmer. um, I swam my whole life. And nutrition, you know, as an elite athlete is always something that you know, has to be on the forefront. You really have to pay attention mm-hmm. to that to be able to to deliver top performances. When I found out when I was at my university that I could actually make a career out of that, I, I, I jumped on. So I stayed through and got my bachelor's degree and, and finished up my internship and also stayed in, and got my master's degree in uh, nutrition science as well. I started at a county hospital in clinical nutrition and I loved it. I loved learning. I loved being part of ICU rounds and the interventions and the different people that I got to speak with. But then I wanted more. I found myself not being able to build those relationships, not being able to continue the discussions, not being able to be as impactful as I wanted to be. Through exploration, I saw a position posted for my facility and um, I came and learned about it and 
after being hired and being brought on, I got to do exactly that. I got to feel like I was making a difference. Okay. I got to have that follow up with patients and really help them through their journey. So a sense of mission and a sense of purpose along with your vocation. Exactly. So we've talked about nutrition and some of the elements of, of nutrition and how you've assessed and, and why you assess. Let's talk about how you apply that to the culinary uh, execution of food preparation or endorsement of food preparation and meals for patients. Let's talk about that and why is that important? Absolutely. Um, a lot of people don't understand that there is such a thing as a therapeutic diet. When we're talking about oncology, most of the time it's eat whatever you want, eat whatever you can, do whatever you can. Sure. But depending upon the complexity of what's going on with a the patient, they need to, may need to follow specific dietary interventions. Okay, so not just giving someone a casserole or... A, right. Okay. A lot of times we see in the oncology setting that a patient may need to be on a neutropenic diet. A patient that is following or that has a, a low immune system or compromised immune system mm -hmm. may need to be extra mindful of any type of foodborne illness. Okay. So they're not supposed to have any undercooked eggs or undercooked meats, any raw fruits or vegetables, any types of like salads and things like that to make sure that we are not compromising them because whereas it might make you or I a little bit sick, maybe not feel well, it could be severely detrimental to their health and their progression in regards to their their you know journey and recovery so are you empowered and help me to understand to uh, be part of the discussion and conversation of of your team that actually prepares the meals for the patients that you see and that you can make recommendations on how those meals are to be prepared to meet the standard that you've just articulated? 100%. We, uh, we work with our chefs very closely to okay. make sure that the same messages that... So chefs and hospital, those are... That sounds like an oxymoron to me. I, I've never heard the term chef mentioned in relationship to food preparation in a hospital setting. That's a very interesting concept. Yes, sir. I, we work very closely with our chefs. We have a nutrition and culinary task force that um, meets at least once a month, depending upon our menu cycle. It may be uh, once a week while we're uh, reviewing menus, making sure that they're aligning with the message that the dietitians are providing okay. to the patients. Okay. Wow. So a chef, again, I'll just make this point. I don't think that when people think about hospital preparation of food that they use the term chef comes to mind. So at, when I hear the word chef, that sounds like a high level of preparation of food on a, on a much, much more qualitative level to me. 100%. The same food that we serve in the cafeteria is served to our patients upstairs that are admitted. That is outstanding. Yep. Can you please cite for us uh, some research that helps us to understand some guidelines around nutrition and possible prevention of cancer? Absolutely. A great resource to utilize is the American Institute for Cancer Research, or AICR.org. They put out guidelines to help uh, possibly reduce your risk for diagnosis, as well as the risk for uh, recurrence and progression if you have already been diagnosed. What's the one big thing that you want people to walk away from today's conversation of understanding or being inspired about nutrition and cancer care? I think it's important 
to make sure that you are talking to a professional, making sure that you're getting evidence-based recommendations, making sure that that nutrition professional understands every aspect of your care and your journey because there are a lot of things that can positively help you in regards to your journey, but there are a lot of things that can negatively affect you as well. Well, that comes from a clinical oncology dietitian. She's making a very important point. Well, you know, a a real big point that was made in in all of that was, again, understanding that there's a lot of information in the marketplace. And, of course, in the day and age that we live in, you know, we're saturated with information on any particular given subject that may or may not be of value and benefit to us given our particular situation. And that is certainly the case when we talk about nutrition, nutritional support and cancer care. It is important, as she stated, to make sure that an individual sits down with a professional uh, clinical nutritionist to talk about their unique situation, their unique treatment options with regard to recommended nutritional support. Many times we turn to the Internet, and the Internet's a great thing. Lots of information there, but sometimes you have to sort through what's good and what's bad. Well, the great and the, and the terrible thing about the Internet is exactly that. There's a plethora of information from all different sources of people that may or may not be of specific value or benefit that has, in some cases, does not have credible references. Yeah. Or How do you reasons. know who to believe? That's exactly right. So when it's all said and done, again, we still need to do our due diligence and find someone with reputable reputation and credentials that we can sit down and face-to-face have a conversation with specific to our nutritional plan and one who may be undergoing cancer treatment. Well, I'm thankful for the professionals who've joined us on the program, many of whom we're hearing from again today. Yeah, they've given us great insights and nuggets and things to understand, to share with this audience as we continue to pursue the conversation of the possible benefits of nutrition and cancer care. For this program to have a lasting impact on you, I hope that you'll download the free resource, Cancer Fighting Recipes, which is available at our website, healthhopeandinspiration.com. A lot of work has gone into this by Carolyn Lammersfeld and Percy, and I hope you appreciate the work that they've done just to help us eat a more healthy diet, and it's all right here in these recipes. And again, we want people to be informed and knowledgeable, and we want you to be able to share information. Uh, My wife uh, recently brought to my attention a, a very old recipe book that her mom and women of the particular church that she grew up in, they all submitted recipes of family secrets that they put (laughs) together and compiled and made a recipe book for their local church. So again, it's an ability to share knowledge and information that will be beneficial and valuable, but specific to the cancer community and the plight and the journey of a cancer diagnosis. Now you know what you know. You need to cross-reference what you've learned with that old recipe book to make sure it's a good one, huh? And that is correct. And in some cases, there's some things to make some adjustments with. (laughs) All right. We're going to hear from another guest here in just a moment. But according to the American Cancer Society, nearly one out of three people in the U.S. will have cancer during their lifetime. And caring for people living with cancer is a growing need in every church today, even though many churches don't realize the ministry opportunity. So we've developed the Our Journey of Hope Ministry Leaders Network to help equip and empower every church in the country to better meet this great need. If you are a pastor or a leader in your church or congregation, we want to invite you to join our growing family of informed ministry leaders in the Our Journey of Hope Ministry Leaders Network. Join the Ministry Leaders Network is absolutely free. So when you sign up, you'll receive access to exclusive online leaders resources, 
information about ministry training opportunities, and our monthly informative email newsletter. Just visit our website, healthhopeandinspiration.com, and click on the Our Journey of Hope logo at the top of the page and sign up for the Ministry Leaders Network. Again, that's at healthhopeandinspiration.com. And by the way, don't forget to subscribe to our regular podcast, Health, Hope, and Inspiration. You can do that at the website, healthhopeandinspiration.com, or directly on iTunes. Well, on this special edition focusing on nutrition, I'm Wayne Shepherd with Percy McRae, and we're hearing from experts here today associated with the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Who are we going to hear from next, Percy? Yeah, we're going to hear from Aaron Smucker, a clinical oncology dietitian serving Cancer Treatment Centers of America in Atlanta, Georgia. And she's going to speak to us about getting the right nutritional advice. Nutrition across all sectors of the population, you know, and athletes and uh, children and, uh, you know, adults and uh, all stages of life, elderly, uh, nutrition is so important and uh, accurate evidence-based nutrition information is really important. So, um, you know, we hear about nutrition everywhere from, but all the time it's not always going to be from accredited source. So what we do, um, you know, part of my job is to also kind of gear individuals towards the more uh, accurate and evidence-based information and um, kind of giving, getting them a little you know, having them uh, have a clear and open mind um, when they see nutrition information broadcasted by the media or, you know, elsewhere that might not be from someone in that's considered an expert in the field, such as a dietitian. So we always want individuals to not kind of see fad diets and um, maybe look the other way or just kind of make sure that it's from an expert in the field, such as a dietitian. Because yeah, nutrition information is everywhere, but we really want individuals to be uh, not jumping on those per se, because they're not going to be necessarily okay for in an every individual. So Well, we- I would, and I would certainly think even with respect specifically to the cancer population, you have very unique dynamics as I understand them with regard to nutrition and things that, that that may or may not make sense from a cancer perspective and particularly with regard to the specific type of cancer that they may have. But key to what you've just stated is the fact that you have registered on the on your title. That means something. What does it mean to be registered? Obviously, you there's a, a licensing process, a schooling process. Again, everybody's talking about diet today. So let's let's sift through what we should be listening to and what we should should not be listening to. Yeah. So you want to look for someone yeah, with the RDLD behind their name. RD means that they're registered, a registered dietitian, meaning that they have been through a four-year program and then have, um, so after you get your bachelor's in a, an accredited dietetic program, you then have to be, uh, go into a fifth-year program, ah. which is the accredited internship. It's not an internship where you can just, you know, go into make money off of. It's actually typically attached to like a graduate program. Okay. Um, but you don't necessarily get your graduate degree. You only get your de- gra- graduate degree um, on top of becoming RD eligible to sit for the sure. registration exam um, if it's through a, a coordinated accredited program. Other fifth-year programs will just let you sit for the RD exam. So at the end of your four-year um, program, you have to go into a fifth-year program and then sit for the RD exam after the end of that year. So that's what you're looking for. Um, the, we only go into you know chemistry, biology, okay. uh, human metabolism. That's our background. So we know all about 
nutrition. We've spent five or more years in learning about it. So okay. that's what makes us considered the experts in the field. <laughs> okay. So with that being said, then that's an important distinction. Let's talk about then uh, understanding what uh, a dietitian's background should be and training and et cetera. Cancer, cancer population. Why is the conversation uh, of nutrition, nutrition support, why is this important to the so important to the cancer population? How does nutrition theoretically impact cancer care and treatment? So there's a lot of different types of cancers and nutrition does vary depending on the type of cancer. Okay. Um, so we follow the, um, a set of guidelines. Um, they are, you know, for normal health, but when we go into different cancers such as GI cancers or head and neck cancers, that requires, um, you know, those individuals are at a higher risk for malnutrition um, depending on what treatment they're receiving. They sometimes lose the ability to eat by mouth. So we have to, you know, step in and offer a thing called nutrition support, which involves different routes of feeding. Cancer patients are are challenged, in some cases compromised nutritionally. Mm -hmm. To be able to have nutritional support, someone who is properly trained with the licensure that you've just mentioned, and to have that part of their cancer care program and have it integrated with their oncologist and and all of the other evidence-based uh, treatments that they're receiving. How important is it to have that coordinated and and have that coordination with with a treating oncologist? It's really important. Um, you know, if we don't know the plan going in, if we don't know the treatments, we don't know the side effects, and then we by knowing all of that and coordinating with a medical oncologist, we can um, give better nutrition advice. We can also kind of uh, gear the patient more. Um, or the individual more so as to what to expect and um, what to provide them with educationally wise Mm -hmm. um, and following them too. Um, You know, different things can change so fast, um, especially with treatment changes. And, you know, the longer a patient goes, the longer an individual goes receiving care um, from a medical oncologist also means that things are changing nutritionally. Okay. Uh, We're speaking to primarily a faith-based audience and and individuals who belong to local churches and good local churches and the history of, of a good local church is we love to f- eat and feed each other. We love to fellowship around food. In many cases, what traditionally happens, you know, if you're part of a fellowship in a church, is that people will bring meals to cancer patients because obviously they may be tired, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Let's talk about understanding the fact that all things food-related are not necessarily appropriate or good for a cancer patient, depending on their condition, depending on what type of treatment they're receiving. How important is it to really understand the nuances of what we should be eating and preparing for people? Yeah, and I think that tradition is awesome and so great. Um, uh, But I would just probably just ask, you know, if you're bringing a meal to a family, I would just ask, you know, maybe is there any dietary restrictions? Did their dietitian or medical oncologist uh, advise them to not have certain foods um, because they're having a specific symptom or they're, you know, have textural issues or need to be following a specific consistency with their foods so they're able to tolerate whatever you're, you know, very 
uh, nicely and uh, gracefully giving them. So I would just probably check with the individual in order because it, it just it's varies so much. <laughs> well, and I even think about it from the perspective because what's becoming common practice now in many local restaurants is that you will have people that will ask you, do you have, you know, dietary restrictions or needs or specifics? And there's a different menu, you know, mm-hmm. gluten-free and that sort of thing. So being able to have that type of awareness as a, a social community and before we just assume to give somebody something, even though the intent is fantastic, we really need to maybe ask a couple of other probing questions of restrictions and limitations from a dietary perspective before we bring that third casserole to, to someone to support mm-hmm. them is what I'm hearing you say. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, it's always nice to check with that person. So, and this segues me into the fact that uh, I've worked, obviously, with the faith community a lot over the last many years with regard to cancer. And one of the common questions that I'm asked is, can you provide us more information about nutrition? Uh, Organized churches and people of faith love to have conversation and talk about understanding nutrition and what what can we do better from a nutritional perspective? Give us a sense of maybe two or three very important things from a nutritional perspective that is important to understand from a cancer care perspective. From a cancer care perspective, I mean, general guidelines would be, you know, following the American Institute for Cancer Research uh, nutrition guidelines. That set of guidelines is really as far as cancer prevention, that's really what we encourage. And when we go speak at community-based um, functions or community churches, that's what we mainly talk about, unless it's, of course, you know, a specific cancer awareness event that we're speaking more towards a specific rather than general cancer population. We'll hit upon those those guidelines. And then, of course, yeah, just different factors, other factors that play into cancer risk uh, we might hit upon too, such as lifestyle, things like exercise. Because okay. um, exercise and dietary uh, things go hand in hand. And uh, when we're talking about cancer uh, prevention, they really are two, two very key things. That being said, you've worked with cancer patients, uh, you're, you're helping them with their nutrition, you're educating them, you're supporting them. I would have to imagine that you've had some experiences of stories that you've seen with patients who have really benefited from this type of really uh, organized, uh, highly educated, highly ethical approach to supporting cancer patients. Do you have a story that stands out in particular of, of, of a patient that you've worked with that you've seen good things happen as a result of helping them nutritionally? Yeah, um, I have a patient that, you know, um, definitely uh, benefited from nutrition support. Uh, there was a, you know, the individual was having uh, trouble um, with eating traditionally, like we think, you know, by mouth. The treatment was really intensely uh, inhibiting uh, that person's ability to eat. And um, nutrition support, when you have the individual to work with individuals that have to have that um, route of nutrition, um, you know, they have to have a procedure where, you know, maybe a tube is placed. Um, It's not for a long term. It's a lot of times just for a short period of their life. But, um, you know, I had the ability to track someone and um, see how they weren't at a very good place nutritionally. And then that little short period went by and the, the, that route of feeding was able to help them, um, immensely. And they were able to have it removed a few months later. So, um, and you know, they're symptom free and everything's going great with the, 
specific, you know, cancer. It was just that little, that little um, hump that they needed to get over just from the nutritional standpoint while they were receiving treatment. So it's always awesome working with nutrition support patients um, that have to go through that because it's, it's awesome seeing them um, get over that little period. Our thanks to Aaron Smucker, a clinical oncology dietitian serving with Cancer Treatment Centers of America in Atlanta, Georgia. Absolutely. And, and the key point that I heard with regard to this that I think I want to make sure everyone ga- gathers and grasps is the fact that nutritional support is part of integrative support for patients that may assist and help patients through difficult times who are experiencing side effects. Cancer care requires more than good nutrition, as important as that is. Absolutely. And when you integrate that with a good, comprehensive clinical plan where you have everyone at the table talking and speaking to each other about the unique dynamics of that patient, their uh, treatment options, and their side effects, now you have a comprehensive approach of whole person care working together. Again, I want to point our listeners to a terrific resource that you've put together with Carolyn Lammersfeld. Cancer Fighting Recipes is available to our listeners. It's a free download. Uh, it's it's uh, 45 pages in length, so it's really comprehensive. Great recipes that you'll want to try out immediately. Cancer Fighting Recipes available at healthhopeandinspiration.com. With hospitals in Atlanta, Chicago, Philadelphia, Phoenix, and Tulsa, Cancer Treatment Centers of America takes an integrative approach to cancer care. Visit our website at healthhopeandinspiration.com and click on Sponsor to learn more about Cancer Treatment Centers of America or contact one of their friendly oncology information specialists about questions you may have about your treatment options by simply calling the phone number at the top of our homepage. Cancer Treatment Centers of America uses state-of-the-art technologies to deliver precision medicine, personalized care and spiritual support. Learn more at healthhopeandinspiration.com. Well, Percy, we are learning today that good nutrition is the fuel that keeps our bodies functioning properly. Yeah, God has given us the privilege of enjoying the taste of the food that we eat, but sometimes we can enjoy the sweetness of our food a little too much. I know what that's like. (laughs) So Carolyn Lammersfield is coming back now to talk to us about sugar. We think of sugar as indirectly having a relationship or being linked to the risk of cancer. And so the the indirect relationship really um, results from two things. One, sometimes when people eat quite a few calories from sugar, it ends up displacing other important nutrients from the diet. So they may not get enough calcium, B vitamins, et cetera, that are needed for, for cellular health, immune health, bone health. So that's one way that sugar may indirectly increase the risk of some cancers. And then the, the bigger link is really the, the fact that, again, if sometimes if you eat too many of your calories from sugar, Um, you may consume too many calories in general, which can lead to the development of carrying extra weight, obesity, which we know has been linked to the increased risk of many cancers. So it's, it's the relationship between sugar intake and how that might interfere with getting all the other proper nutrients you need for health, increasing risk, and then sugar intake leading to excess calorie intake, excess weight, which then can cause metabolic changes that can increase the risk of cancer and other chronic disease like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, et cetera. And it's interesting that you would say that I, I do not have cancer. I'm not a cancer patient. But uh, I have modified uh, my nutritional lifestyle over the last six months. And particularly one of the key things is that I have uh, attempted to eliminate as much sugar out of my diet as possible. So it's interesting that you would bring that 
that point up. And so, again, we know that and we have understood that there is somewhat of a correlation and of obesity and cancer that we should be mindful of, correct? Correct. I mean, it's important for adults. It's important for children. And, you know, again, the connection between obesity and many cancers and other chronic diseases and the, the increasing obesity epidemic in this country has really resulted in almost all the, the dietary guidelines we have for Americans uh, resulting in recommendations to decrease sugar intake. So we have the dietary guidelines for Americans that are recommending less than 10% calories from sugar. The American Heart Association actually has even stricter guidelines than that the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Institute of Medicine, the World Health Organization. Again, uh, in Europe, they're recommending even lower amounts um, of sugars. So it, it is that powerful of a connection that almost every recommendation we have uh, for, for diet for populations is recommending less, less calories from sugar. Uh, one of the things that I think comes to the, immediately to one's mind is then what do we do to substitute for sugar? Let's talk about sugar substitutes. Yeah, that's a, that's a natural question, and, and unfortunately, we don't, or I don't generally recommend that people, when they're trying to lower added sugars, if you will, substitute sugar, sugar substitutes, because uh, more research is coming out suggesting that artificial sweeteners may cause changes to the, the gut microbiome um, that can increase your risk of gaining weight and uh, being obese. Uh, so one of the things I use to help people is an acronym called SLASH, S-L-A-S-H, where we, we say, you know, the S stands for staying home more often, mm -hmm. so cooking your meals at home more often so you have control over what's added to your food. Sure. Looking at labels, so labels can be helpful to identify, you know, where you're getting added sugar that you may not even be aware of. So things like condiments, ketchup, barbecue sauce, salad yeah. dressings, <laughs> there, are, there are lots of hidden sugars uh, that are adding to people's intake that they're not even aware of. I mean, certainly sugary beverages, baked products, and then sweetening yourself. So one example, if you if you buy fruited yogurts, you know, sometimes that can have uh, uh, teaspoons of added sugar in it. Mm -hmm. And so by buying, for example, Greek plain Greek yogurt and just sweetening yourself and using less, you can, you know, you can drastically cut down the amount of calories you're getting from sugar. And then... Again, hydrating uh, with water as much as possible because the biggest source of added sugars in the American diet is sweetened beverages. So um, it's it's really trying to be you know much more conscious of what we're eating, what's in what we're eating, and the the more we do it ourselves at home, the more control we have over the amount of added sugar. So I like to say if you if you're if you're eating healthy that way, you can really afford to have a sweet treat if you want to, you know, so you don't have to completely, most people don't have to completely eliminate uh, sugar. I like to save sugar for dessert <laughs> versus getting it in my condiments, salad dressings, and drinks. That's a good way of thinking about that again, just kind of making a conscious decision and, and, and moderating where and when and how you basically uh, receive sugar intake. You know, I, I, I was surprised at the fact that there was sugar in ketchup and barbecue sauce, which I loved and I ate in, you know, in crazy amounts. But again, all of the hidden areas that I don't think that most people think about where sugar is added into our daily dietary intake is really an incredible education to understand and be conscious of. Quite frankly, even myself, uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, I, I made a conscious effort to, I had gotten 
lazy and started using, you know, more convenience products. Mm-hmm. And I made a conscious effort to start making everything from scratch at home. And uh, I, f- I found that even I started losing weight, which I don't, as you know, I don't necessarily ha- need to lose weight. Sure. So I had to start eating more uh, nuts and nut butters and avocados and just uh, other, you know, healthier foods without sugar to keep my calorie intake up. Yeah, it's interesting. The other thing is also understanding what the alternative names for sugars are. So everything is not just listed as sugar as we begin to start reading more labels, if you, as you suggested, with the SLASH acronym. Uh, would you mind going through some of the so-called other names, that alternative names for sugars that people may not be aware of that basically at the end of the day is still sugar? Sure, absolutely. It's estimated that there's at least 50, maybe more than 50 names for sugars. So when you when you look at labels, you're not just looking for sugar. You could be looking for agave nectar, brown sugar, corn syrup, dextrose, fructose, honey, uh, high fructose corn syrup, maple syrup. I mean, all these things are sugars and are, and are metabolized very similar uh, by our body, same amount of calories. So at least 50 different names for sugar. I think another thing that helps put it in perspective, so if you look at the current recommendations, the so the dietary guidelines for Americans are, are recommending less than 10% calories from sugar. So for a 2,000-calorie diet, which is kind of what we use for labels, mm-hmm. that's 50 grams of sugar or 12 teaspoons, around 12 teaspoons of sugar. And I can tell you most people, for many people, 2,000 calories is more than they need, so the recommendation would actually be lower. So w- one example I like to look look to is the American Heart Association's guidelines, which recommend no more than six teaspoons of added sugars for women and nine for men. And so if you start looking at labels, you'll see how quickly that adds up. You can be getting more than that, as you mentioned, just from the condiments and uh, you know hidden in foods that you're not even really aware that you're having some you know something with a lot of sugar in it. So if you're eating Absolutely. a yogurt with three, four teaspoons of sugar in it, and then you've got barbecue sauce with a couple of teaspoons, you're already over your limit and you haven't even maybe, you know, had a sweet treat or enjoyed what, what you would perceive as a sweet treat. It's interesting, you know, when I'm at the, when my wife and I, Anita, as you know, we're at the restaurant and mm-hmm. and what I now do and what I've done consistently over the last six months is I, I order a glass of water and uh, I ask for slices of lemon, lime, and orange to basically flavor and in some ways sweeten my water. You know, fruit-infused water is a really good way to, to, you know, to get hydrate without getting added sugars. I mean, enjoying the natural sweetness of fruits sometimes is a way to decrease your craving for other sugars. I think it just takes time and practice to be, be comfortable asking for what you want, you know, <laughs> to maintain your health. And again, because I'm walking through this process now, it really is becoming taking ownership of understanding what you are doing and why you need to do it and why it is so important and then finding that motivation and then being committed. Let's talk about and shift gears, if you don't mind, specific to the cancer community. You know, what are some of the things that 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 you like to remind people about, again, nutritionally, uh, whether it's related to sugar or otherwise, from a cancer care perspective, from a treatment perspective, some things that we can share with the audience that will be important for the cancer community? You know, you hit on a really good topic that, that I didn't mention, and, and it's mo- motivation. You know, so when we're working with people, it's often tapping into their motivation. You know, what, what are they motivated to do to, to help um, you know, potentially improve their outcome, help 
their quality of life, help how they feel while they're being treated for cancer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why do they maybe want to make changes? And then what are the what are the potential uh, risks of not making those changes? Because sometimes it's good to look back at that when you're maybe having a hard time or backsliding to say, oh, that's right, I wanted to make this change because when I eat that other way, you know, this happens or I don't, fe- you know, I don't feel well, I don't sleep well. I think the biggest challenge we face is, you know, we just spent a lot of time talking about added sugars and reducing added sugars, and there is a place for that in some of the population that we work with. Okay. Um, and and then there's this, you know, there's this whole other, there's a whole spectrum of nutritional challenges we deal with during cancer treatment. And so we are often dealing with individuals who are having the opposite challenges, having a hard time eating, having a hard time getting enough calories, losing weight, you know, which inter- can interfere with their treatment, interfere with their quality of life. And for those individuals, at times it may be at that time, the priority may not be the quality of what they're eating, like what we were talking about earlier, but the quantity. And at times, there may be situations there where we're not as worried about added sugars um, until we can get their, you know, their calorie intake up, their weight stabilized. Um, I mean, we, we always still try and do it with healthier options, healthier supplements, but there the challenge is, is sometimes a little different. And so understanding what the unique needs are of that particular patient uh, may very well be needing to add calories versus trying to reduce calories or add weight versus lose weight, et cetera, et cetera. So again, uh, the takeaway there is be mindful of the fact that everything needs to be modified to the unique needs of that specific patient, their particular cancer, their treatment regimen, and they really need to make sure that they have a good conversation with, a again, a licensed, uh, a registered dietitian and nutritionist, someone who can help them uh, make that very specific to their unique situation. On that note, uh, one of the things that I know that's part of some of your presentations that you give is talking about understanding and looking at foods without labels. What does that mean? Talk to us about, educate us about foods without labels. What does that mean, Carolyn? (laughs) Yeah, I I I talked a little bit earlier about reading labels to help you identify added sugars, and that is important. But if you think about the type of foods that typically come without labels, uh, they're going to be more natural foods without anything added to them. So I think about, you know, fruits and vegetables. You, you, you know, you heard about shopping the perimeter of the grocery store. So mm-hmm. the whole produce section, you know, that's, that, those are foods that don't have to have labels on it because when you pick up an apple, you've got an apple. <laughs> There's nothing, <laughs> nothing added to it. Uh, similarly, you know, fish, even, you know, your lean meats and poultry, a lot of the foods you'll find in the perimeter of the grocery store are just natural foods with nothing added mm. to them. So that, that's a good start uh, to reducing added sugars. And again, I think it's, it's cleverly worded when you, you use the phraseology foods without labels. Uh, it, it gives people something to think about and to be mindful of uh, when they're shopping and how they, they pick their food and their produce and et cetera, et cetera. And again, for me personally, and I'm using myself as a testimonial here, I've, I've done that and, and the effectiveness of it is incredible. Is there anything uh, in the marketplace in terms of conversation or literature that we should be mindful of about nutrition and cancer that we have not talked about today, my dear? Our, our website, cancercenter.com, um, the American Institute for Cancer Research okay. at, at AICR.org, the American Cancer Society, 
the NCI, the National Cancer Institute, are just a few examples of reputable websites where you can get quite a bit of information on um, the role of nutrition and cancer prevention or risk reduction, cancer treatment, and survivorship. Great. Okay, that's good information to know. And, and, and the statement that I've learned from you, Carolyn, is that there is still much more information to learn and understand about the overall effectiveness of nutrition, uh, and there is still much that we are understanding on a daily basis. Is that correct? I want to make sure I put that disclaimer out there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, right now we, you know, we look at nutrition as, you know, supportive to help patients be able to tolerate the amount of treatment they need in the time they need it. There's still a lot of research that needs to be done in the role of nutrition from a standpoint of anything beyond that. We are so grateful to Carolyn Lammersfeld of Cancer Treatment Centers of America for all the expertise she shared with us here today. Yes, Carolyn has been a dear friend and colleague for many years, Wayne. Mm. And she really helped us to understand the relationship between sugar and cancer and the misconceptions that many people have that cancer actually feeds off of sugar. Carolyn said we should think of sugar as indirectly having a relationship of being linked to the risk of cancer in two ways. Number one, Wayne, she said the relationship between sugar intake and how that might interfere with getting all of the proper nutrients you need for health, thereby increasing risk. Mm -hmm. And then number two, sugar intake can lead to excess calorie intake or excess weight, which then can cause metabolic changes that can increase the risk of cancer and other chronic diseases like heart disease. Well, these experts who have been with us here in the program today are all associated with Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And again, we're grateful for their their support, their understanding, and the, what they've shared with us. Oh, absolutely. Because again, we're not nutritionists. You're no. not a nutritionist. But we learned a lot, didn't we? And in that, the caveat and the disclaimer is there is still much to be learned and understood about the role of nutrition and the impact that it has with regard to cancer prevention and cancer care. And there's much that we know and there's still much that we're understanding. So continue to stay tuned. As we learn more, we'll share more of that information with our audience. Now, one way to put into practice what we've learned today is to download our free resource, Cancer Fighting Recipes. Carolyn and others, including Percy, have had some input here, so there's some professional advice uh, put into this document. It's downloadable right now, a free resource, Cancer Fighting Recipes, at healthhopeandinspiration.com. I hope our listeners will take full advantage of these cancer fighting recipes. And so do I, because again, a lot of time and energy has been placed in creating this document, but ultimately at the end of the day, it will be of value and benefit when one is trying to deal with the conundrum of what to cook, how to cook, what portions, and et cetera. It really does give you a nice step and a guide that will allow you to do that with a little more ease and less tension. Yes, following these recipes will go a long way towards putting into action what we've learned today here from the various dietitians. Absolutely. So download it at healthhopeandinspiration.com. Well, uh, a number of minutes ago, you read some scripture that kind of set the tone for this program today. Can we come back to that? So as we book in this discussion and what a, an effective and healthy and robust discussion it has been today, we want to close strong with where we started. And that's 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, verse 19, that reminds us of our spiritual duty with regard to nutrition and taking care of our bodies. And it says as follows. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, 
and you are not your own. I want people to think about it from this perspective. In many cases, some of us clean our homes better and take better care of our car than we do the temple Mm. that the Holy Spirit is living in, which is our natural human bodies. Good word. Thank you, Percy. Hey, there's one more thing I want to mention before we leave all of our listeners here today, and that is that we are so convinced that churches have a role to play here. You are so convinced that you've organized something called Our Journey of Hope. Absolutely. And again, there there is new information that constantly is coming to the forefront that indicates the role of spirituality and faith with regard to potential different outcomes from a healthcare perspective, mentally, emotionally, and potentially physically, has much to do with the ability to support and nurture an individual's sense of spirituality and their connection of their spirituality to God. So we cannot absolve ourselves from the role of as the local faith community doing our part. Yes. Being engaged, being equipped, and being willing uh, to uh, mobilize ourselves so that when those individuals in our path, in our community, and certainly in our local churches are are stricken with uh, disease and cancer, that we are on the front line ready to respond and ready to lend a hand and do the work of Jesus. He said that when you visited me when I was uh, in jail, when you fed me when I was hungry, when you clothed me when I was naked, that when you did this to the least of them, you were doing this as unto me. There's a great need for cancer care ministry. And if you are a pastor or a leader in your church or congregation, we want to invite you to join our family of informed ministry leaders in the Our Journey of Hope Ministry Leaders Network. Joining the Ministry Leaders Network is absolutely free. and You can sign up online at healthhopeandinspiration.com. Click on the Our Journey of Hope logo at the top of the page and sign up for the Ministry Leaders Network. Well, it's been a great time to spend together. I'm Wayne Shepherd, our host, Reverend Percy McRae, Pastor P of Cancer Treatment Centers of America. This is to continued good health, and we believe that the best is still yet to come in your life. Listen to us regularly on the podcast Health, Hope, and Inspiration. Health, Hope, and Inspiration is produced and sponsored by Cancer Treatment Centers of America.